Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Amen. Would you give the Lord a clap offering of praise on Yom Kippur? Stand with me, would you, all over the building. Now, Yom Kippur is not today. Yom Kippur is tonight at, at sundown. So it goes from this evening to sunset on uh, Monday. So this is the last day that we blow the shofar. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm. This is the 40th day. And I'm going to teach a little bit on that. Something always very special happens on the 40th day. But as we blow the trumpet in Zion, we need to not just hear it with our ears, but we need to hear it with our spirit. When the Bible talks about the still small voice, remember what God said? He said, I'm not in the thunder. I'm not in the lightning. I'm not in the earthquake. It's the still small voice. That still small voice in ancient Jewish wisdom is the hearing of the shofar. It's God saying, wake up. If there's anything you need to take care of, take care of it right now. Because something amazing is about to happen and he doesn't want us to miss it. Amen. So when I blow this, I want you to just give the Lord a shout. But before I blow it, before I blow it, this is the last time we'll blow the shofar because tonight begins Yom Kippur. And tonight, it's sealed. And we're going to talk about it. It's sealed. Everything God's getting ready to do is going to be sealed. And the devil can't do anything to stop it. So before, before I blow the shofar, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And no one looking around. And you're here right now, and you say, Pastor Larry, you know, God has been speaking to me. And there are some things I need to get right in my life. Maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you have, but you've kind of gotten lukewarm. See, that's what's happened to the world. We've gotten lukewarm, and it opens the door for the enemy. That's what's happening with the COVID, and that's what's happening with the lawlessness in the streets, and that's what's happening with the finances. When we say, you know what, God, I'm okay on my own, God gives us a taste of what it's like without him. But then he loves us so much, he sounds the alarm so that we can get right with him, so that he can come back. Return unto me, and I will return to you. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Mekedesh. So as every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this building or around the world, we have tens of thousands of people with us right now. If you're here and you say, Pastor Larry, would you come in agreement with me in prayer? I want to make sure my heart is right with God. I want you to slip your hand up all over the building and just hold it there for a moment. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that just hands everywhere. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Hands everywhere. Put your hands down. Now let's lift them all together. Look at me. Everybody lift your hands together. And let's just say this in unity. Say out loud. Say, Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. 
I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now, this is especially this is especially powerful today. Say this, Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my mind. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my body. Get out of my home, my family, my future, and my finances. I declare today the blessing of God is sealed in Jesus' name in every area of my life. Are you ready? shout. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. I want to ask you to open your Bibles up this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 16. And I want to show you Jesus on Yom Kippur. A lot of people have been told for years and years and years that once you become a Christian, all we do is read the New Testament We have nothing to do with the Old Testament. First off, you need to understand that the new and the old covenants were never separated for hundreds of years. It was one continual book. But then Gentiles began to run the church and they said, now let's label this the Old Testament and let's label this the New Testament But in reality, there's not an old covenant and a new covenant, but through Jesus, he makes the covenants of God fresh to everyone who believes. So I want to show you the meaning of Yom Kippur that we see directly in Jesus' life. Read with me in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock... Now, let me stop right there. There's a certain religion that says the church is built on Peter, and they use this scripture... But it's not what it means. The church is not built on Peter. The church is built on the revelation that Peter had. The revelation that you are the Christ. And Jesus said, on this rock, said, you are the Christ. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on the rock of this revelation, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now look at me a second. How important is it that we understand Jesus in Yom Kippur? Jesus says it. When you understand this revelation, the leaders of hell will not win in your life anymore. Now let me say that again. How important. My people destroyed for what reason? Lack of knowledge. Oh, that's the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. Jesus said, when you understand this revelation, and it's the revelation of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, which we're going to show you in a minute. When you understand this, Satan can't beat you up anymore. So it's pretty important to understand, right? The gates of hell will not prevail anymore. And not only that, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth and whatever you loosen on earth, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosened in heaven. Now let me show you Jesus in Yom Kippur and how important it is that we understand this every year, but especially this year. If we can have the timeline come up here that we, we've been putting up. Remember that everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. And I know you know this, but let me just say it again. There were times that the apostles would lay hands on people and they'd be healed. But there were times there were too many and they couldn't lay hands on them but their shadow passed over them, and the same thing happened. The shadow has the same miracle power as the real thing. And it's vital that we understand that. In Passover, it was a shadow of things to come until the first coming of Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, the crucifixion, the shadow became the real thing. We don't need a shadow anymore. We have the real thing forever. Then 50 days later, we have Shavuot, or Pentecost. From Passover, 50 days later was Shavuot. Shavuot is the day that God gave the the Bible, the Ten Commandments. God met with Moses in the tablets. Then the day of Pentecost had fully come. God, on the exact same day, God released the power of the Holy Spirit. It went from a shadow to the real thing. Then we have the month of Elul. The month of Elul is the blowing of the shofar. It's the sounding the alarm. It's the birth pangs. Every year during the month of Elul, and we're at the end end of it now into the 10 days, every year it's a shouting of us to repent. But this year, with everything that's happening on in America, in our streets, with our government, with the, our economy, everything is a shouting that this time it's going to be different. Things are really going to be different. If we pray and we repent and we do the right thing, and it's really tied in with the election, you have one party that wants to elect people that are anti-God and get God out of our country, You understand that, right? They, they had, a, a, what, a week or so ago, this girl that interviewed uh, Biden, 
that wrote, and I, I haven't heard it, but my kid said, Dad, this is the most foul, disgusting song ever recorded by a girl. Just foul. Over the, they said over the top. And they used her to interview the, what, their candidate for presidency. And then part of their party went into Florida and released how many felons? Huh? 32,000 felons so that they would vote for this party? You want people like that running your country? Now think about it. So this blowing of the shofar, what we're seeing in our country, just think, if, if, if things don't go right, what we're seeing on the news will be in your neighborhood. Now watch this. The blowing of the shofar for 30 days, the birth pangs, the footsteps of the Messiah, it's called in Hebrew, is a wake-up call because then we get into Rosh Hashanah, and Rosh Hashanah is symbolic of the rapture. Now on Rosh Hashanah, God opens the book of life. That's what it's called in Hebrew. On Rosh Hashanah, God opens the book of life, and he looks, number one, to see if you are serving God. If I'm serving God, if you're serving God, if you're serving God. Then he looks to see what you've been doing in serving God. Have you been helping widows and orphans? Have you been caring about the hungry? Have you been being kind to people? Have you been building the kingdom of God? See, a lot of people say, and I know this is, this is not popular to teach in church anymore. But going to church is not serving God. It's not serving God. You ever go to a restaurant and, and, and you're waiting to be served and nobody comes? That's kind of the way the church has become. Plus, we've had a great falling away in the church. Well, you, we don't have to live according to the Ten Commandments anymore. We don't have. And so all of this is, is God saying... And that's why Franklin Graham called for America to repent this week. We need to repent, but we need to repent in the church, too. Now, I know it's not popular, but you'll be glad I said it if the rapture takes place. Right? So Rosh Hashanah is a shadow of the rapture. Then between the rapture and the second coming, we have seven years. Three and a half years will be... The Antichrist uh, bringing peace on, on, in the world. After three and a half years, he'll set himself up on the Temple Mount. There'll be an abomination, desolation. You understand that. And then it will be, you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to get gasoline. You won't be able to go to Kroger. You won't be able to buy or sell anything unless you take the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, you're doomed. Now, I want to say this because this is, not the, this is not a normal Yom Kippur celebration. A lot of people are taking the mark in their heart before they ever take it on their hand. Now, this thing with COVID is a wake-up call. It's a rehearsal. 
Because what they're going to do, I believe, is they're going to... I think it'll be interesting that following the election, if one person gets in and not another person, all of a sudden, they'll come up with a cure for COVID. But then it'll come along down the line and there'll be another breakout of COVID. They're going to come up with a vaccination. You won't have to take the vaccination, but you won't be able to go. You won't be able to meet. You won't be able to go in the Kroger. You won't be able to buy unless you prove you've taken the vaccination. This is all setting up for that. Now, I'm not being doom and gloom because I read the end of the book. We win. And before all that happens, I believe we're being raptured. And so this is all so that we're ready for it. But if it doesn't happen exactly this way and things we do repent and we call upon the Lord and we get right with God as a nation, as the world, then God's going to remove the enemy. And we're going to go into, I believe, if you remember three years ago, a little over three years ago, I prophesied that we would go into seven years of fat. We've had three years of great economic boost. I believe if things go well in November, watch out. The windows of heaven are going to be open, and God wants you to be a part of it. Amen? I, I, I believe that. I believe that a thousand percent. That we're, if, 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 if America will repent and say, you know what, we need, to, we, need to be, we need to put God back in our schools, back in our government. We need God back on the throne of our lives. We need God back in our churches. If we'll repent, get ready. We're about to go into the greatest outpouring. And, and I'm going to stick my neck out a little bit. What we're seeing with this amazing peace process that President Trump has pulled together with these Arab nations in Israel, Muslims calling for peace in Israel. I'm going to stick my neck out. This is a shadow of what, what God is doing in Israel. And I believe if Israel will repent, not all Israel serves God. You understand that? Not all Israel is godly. Most, most of Israel has, has kind of pushed God away. But there's a movement of young, amongst the young people in Israel, and, and they said, we, we, want it, we don't want just the rituals. We want to understand what the rituals mean. Why do we celebrate Rosh Hashanah? Why do we celebrate Yom Kippur? Why do we celebrate Shabbat? This is in the Jerusalem Post. They said, we're watching Christian pastors on television every day who understand the holidays more than we do. I believe Israel right now is going to have a re- getting ready for a great revival that will be spiritual as well as economic. Now, now watch this. Watch this. Now, I know I'm sticking my neck out. But when Israel, when the Jews left Egypt before the revival, before the Ten Commandments, what did they have put in their hands? The gold and the silver. What is God putting in the hands of Israel right now? Gold and silver. The richest nations in the world 
in, in the Mideast, the Arab nations are saying, we want economic connection with Israel. This is, the, this is the symbolic coming out of Egypt with the silver and the gold in their hands. Muslims calling for an end of the BDS movement, boycott, divestment uh, against Israel. The, and what follows the silver and the gold? Everything God has an economic and a spiritual. What follows the silver and the gold? The spiritual move. You watch when God breaks this pandemic in Israel. You watch the, I believe the people in Israel right now are repenting right now and saying we need to get back with God, right with God. We need to serve God. And what God is doing in Israel is a shadow of what God is getting ready to do in my life and in your life and all of us who are following God. This is an exciting time. Somebody say amen. Does that make sense to you? So we have Passover, we have Shavuot, a day of Pentecost. We have the blowing of the shofar. That's what God's doing. We have Rosh Hashanah, which I believe is a shadow of the rapture. We have the seven-year period. Rosh Hashanah is a two-day, so we have two days plus seven, and then on Yom Kippur, which is tonight, makes ten days. So in between is the seven days. Yom Kippur is symbolic of the second coming. The rapture is us going up. The second coming is God coming down. The Bible in the Old Testament prophesied that in that there would be two messiahs. There would be a messiah that comes as a servant riding on a donkey. That's what Jesus did on Passover. But then there would be a Messiah come, not as a servant, but as a king and a warrior. And he would be coming on a white stallion. And we would be coming with him. Who's we? We who make the rapture. And then those who, those who survive, those who survive the seven years. So many bad things are going to happen. You don't want to miss the rapture. So many great things, I believe, is launched tonight. You don't want to miss the blessing. So either way, the Bible says, call no man a fool. You'd be an idiot not to serve God right now. Amen? So then after Yom Kippur, after the the second coming, then we have the... um, See, they didn't quite put it up right. Then we have the thousand-year reign, which is the Sabbath millennium, the seventh millennium. We are, we are. If if the new calendar is right, we are six years away from the Sabbath millennium. Now, nobody knows exactly how that works, but if you take the Jewish calendar into 213 missing years that they're saying now, we are six years away from the Sabbath millennium. So let's give or take a year, five years, 10 years. We are right there. After the Sabbath millennium, then we have the great white throne judgment. Now this should be, actually guys, for, this should be over here. This should be over here. Because after... Yom Kippur, next Sunday, we have, we have Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. The reason why this is a little confusing is if you read the prophecy, when does the Wedding Supper take place? Does it take place 
in the middle of the Sabbath millennium, at the beginning of the Sabbath millennium, at the end of the Sabbath millennium, if you read the scriptures, you can't tell because it's very confusing. But I think in two weeks I'm going to teach on it. The Bible says that the wedding supper of the Lamb or the Feast of Tabernacles, which we celebrate next week, takes place not in heaven and not on earth. So it takes place in a different dimension. Next week, we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. Why is that important? Tonight, everything God's going to do is sealed. And I'm going to show you this in a minute. It's sealed. The devil can't steal it. If we're right with God, we've done what God tells us to do. His blessing is sealed And there's nothing the enemy can do to steal that. But next week at at Sukkot, at the wedding supper of the Lamb, at the Feast of Tabernacles, we bring a first fruit offering. And the Bible says, and we'll teach this next week, the Bible says anybody who misses this, anybody who misses it, misses the latter rain. But those who bring a first fruit offering, tonight everything is sealed. Next week's first fruit offering takes what is sealed, all the joy, all the goodness, all the prosperity, all the business deals, everything. It takes what's sealed, and next week's first fruit offering multiplies it. It multiplies it. And three times a year, we come before the Lord, and we don't come empty-handed. We come Passover, we come Pentecost, and we come Feast of Tabernacles next week. In Judaism, everybody, if you look on the, on the, the feast of, uh, of Passover, Jesus came riding in. They're all in the streets waiting. They're all bringing their first fruits. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all there. Why? They were bringing their first fruits. But not all the Jews in the world would come. They would all get a first fruit offering in, in Passover and Pentecost. But many of them would send a servant would send a shalak on their behalf to bring their offering. But on this day, on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is next Sunday, on the Feast of Tabernacles, nobody sent anybody. They all came. And they all came with their offering. That's on the pilgrimage road, which is almost open to the public. Gee, that's a coincidence. And they would shout, this is the day, the Lord. I will go through the whole thing. And God, why, why would they not miss this? They wouldn't trust their offering to be in anybody's hands except their own. Why? Because this one is the big one. Every year, this one is what multiplies. Passover offering covers something. Pentecost offering, Shavuot covers something. But this one covers everything. And it multiplies the blessing of God. It multiplies the blessing of God. All right. Read with me in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Man, I told him I got a lot to get in and only have 30. By the way, as you're going to Leviticus chapter 16, I'm going to be teaching Yom Kippur service for Daystar tonight at, I think, 630, I think. And so tune in and pray for me. Just think, we're taking Yom Kippur to the world on Christian television. Tell me, tell me we're not close. Tell me we're not close. 
Jesus is walking with the disciples. Jesus looks at them and says, who do men say that I am? Now, remember, my people destroyed for what reason? Lack of knowledge. They said, well, some say you're this, some say you're that. He said, that's great. Who do you say that I am? Because it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It's what you know. It's what the, the truth you know. That word know in Hebrew means, um, in English, uh, the truth you own, the truth you possess. When you possess the truth, then that truth will set you free. So Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And you, you, you've got to understand, and I know you've heard me say this a thousand times. Jesus was a Jew. Never stopped being a Jew. Peter was a Jew. Never stopped being a Jew. So you have two Jewish men speaking concerning things that Jews understood. What we call the Old Testament. When Jesus said, it is written, well, where was it written? You know, when I hear... Christians say, well, that's the Old Testament. We're not in it. I said, Jesus used the Old Testament. No, Jesus, Jesus wrote the New Testament. Jesus said, it's written. Well, where's it written? They go in Matthew. No, it wasn't. Matthew wasn't written yet. He's quoting the Torah. He's quoting the Bible. Amen. So Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? You can almost see Peter going, oi, gewalt. And his response was, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. Now in Hebrew, the anointed one is the burden removing and, say and, the yoke destroying. Now the burden is the wages of our sin is death. But the yoke is every sin we commit has a curse attached to it. And this curse not only affects our lives, but it's passed down generation after generation. So when Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter's response was, you're the one who will forgive the sin and break the curse. Because if the curse isn't broken, the blessing can't be released. Now listen to what I'm telling you. When he said, you're the Christ, the burn-removing, yoke-destroying power of God, Jesus said, you didn't get this from man. This is a revelation from heaven. And on this revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't win anymore. And Peter, I give you the keys. Not just to Peter, but everyone who has this revelation. And now that you understand this, and I'm about to show it to you. Now that you understand this, it's not just a ritual, it's a revelation. Now that you understand this, whatever you bind, I bind the devil in cancer. I bind the devil in divorce. I bind the devil in leukemia. I bind the devil that comes against my job. I bind the devil that comes... What we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, heal me. Jesus said, it's finished. Jesus, defeat the cancer in, in tiz and lion. It's finished. Jesus said, from that day on, don't ask me to do anything. You go to the Father. 
You go to the, who goes to the Father? So we're not asking Jesus to heal us. We're receiving Jesus heals us, and we go. Now, listen to what I'm saying, because I'm about to prove this to you. Jesus is not on the throne. No man goes to the but by me. Now, I'm about to show you this revelation of Jesus in Yom Kippur. Jesus said, I'm the door. He's not the room. Jesus is not on the throne. He is at the right hand of the Father making intercession. They came to Jesus. Are you okay? Because this is crucial. This is crucial. No, we don't go to the Father lest we go through Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. Because when you pray, blind eyes open. When you pray, the devil is that. When you pray, the dead are raised. Teach us how to pray. This is a very rabbinical thing. You would go to your rabbi and ask your rabbi, how, how do you pray? But they went to Jesus, how do you pray? Not just because you're our rabbi, because we're seeing gold coins come out of fish's mouths. We're seeing little boys' lunches feeding 5,000 and 12 baskets full remaining. We're seeing funerals stopped. We're seeing blind Bartimaeus healed. We're seeing the woman with the issue of blood who tried everything for 12 years being healed. How do you pray? Teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, all right, I'm about to show you how to pray. You ready? Yes. When you pray, say, Father. All right, go ahead. Lord Jesus. No, no, no. You're not listening. When you pray, say, Father. And what you've got to understand, or you are not God. We are not God's little boys and girls. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And on this day. On this day, he shows us exactly how this works. Are you ready? Yes. I have 25 minutes. Can I, you still good? Yes. Are you okay with that we go to the Father? Yes. Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened at the temple? The curtain to the Holy of Holies was ripped from top. And you got to understand, it's not like, like your plastic shower curtain. This thing is three feet deep, interwoven, impossible for anything or anyone to tear it. And it was ripped from heaven to earth so that we could go boldly before the Father. When we don't do this, we're not understanding what Jesus did for us. But pastor, I'm an ex-drug addict or I'm an ex-this. That's right, you're an ex. Now you are joint heirs with Christ Jesus where you can come boldly before the throne of God. But he's not just the burden removing. He is also the yoke destroying. Read with me Leviticus 16. Did I already have you turn there? Leviticus 16, and for the sake of time, we won't read it all, but start with chapter 16, verse 5. And he shall take from the congregation the children of Israel two kids of the goats or, or lambs. They're either one, goats or lambs, as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. How many goats did he bring? Two. Now look at me. I, I know you, most of you know this, but a lot of you don't. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. 
the burden removing and the yoke destroying. On Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. What does atonement mean? At one with God. You're, we, we are at one with God. They brought not one sacrifice, but two. Verse 7. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Verse 14. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among in the midst of their uncleanness. Verse 19. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger How many times? Seven Seven times. Cleanse it, sanctify it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of the meeting of the altar, he shall bring the live goat, the second goat, the second offering. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities or all the curses to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness." Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. Now, for the sake of time, let me show you. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, Jesus said, on this, I'll build my church, and Peter, hell won't win anymore. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loosen, loosen in heaven. What they're talking about is Yom Kippur. They're talking about the shadow of things to come. Someday, the second coming will come. And the enemy will have no power over us. We'll never worry about sin. We'll never worry about heaven or hell. Everything will be sealed. But until that happens, tonight is a shadow of that. On the day of Yom Kippur, the day of of atonement with God, the high priest, and Jesus is our high priest, the high priest would come and they would come to the tabernacle and bring two lambs or two goats. Let's say lambs. The high priest would look at those lambs and he would pick one and bring that lamb into the temple of God. 
he would take the lamb that he picked for a sin offering and he would lay the lamb on the altar and shed that lamb's blood. The sins are now forgiven. Who do men say that I am? You are the anointed one, the burden removing. The wages of our sin are death. When we receive Christ as our Savior, that burden is removed. We are born again. We will make heaven our home. But if we don't go to heaven today, then we have a world that we need to be more than conquerors in. So the priest would dip his hands into the blood and he would turn to go into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God the Father. When he turned, he would say, no one touch me. No one touch me. When Jesus was resurrected, he said, don't touch me. I've not yet been with the Father. Because something's about to happen. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But this has to transpire first. So he would take his hands in the blood. The sins are forgiven. The sins are forgiven for the whole year. The sins are forgiven. Have you made your life right with God today? Is everybody right with God? All right. God's going to seal that. But now he takes the blood. He says, don't anybody touch me. He goes into the Holy of Holies that only he could go into. And he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat. This is where the power of God comes. This is where healing comes and prosperity comes and blessings come and victories come. This is the power of God. So he takes the blood. The sins are forgiven. He sprinkles the blood seven times. And then he comes back out. Now his garments are full of blood. So he would take the the garments off, the linen garments off. And put on fresh linen. This is the scripture that says, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. So because of our sins, he is bloodstained. He would go into the Holy of Holies and release the blood how many times? Seven times. Come back out, change garments, and then go into the baptismal, the mikvah. Now he's clean. But then he would go back to the blood, dip his hands in it, go to the door of the tabernacle, which you are the tabernacle of God. The door of your tabernacle is your heart. And he would confess the curses. Father, because of our sin, our children aren't serving God. Because of our sin, They've taken the Ten Commandments out of the schools. Because of our sin, they're removing the Bible from our country. Because of the sin, we're being plagued with the disease. Because of our sin, riots are in the streets. Because of our sin. And he would confess these curses that are on Israel. The sins are forgiven. The blessings are ready to be released. But the curse has to be broken.
the scapegoat. And so they would take this goat and they would lead it down to the desert. If that goat and release it into the desert. Now you got to understand that goat has been being fed or the lamb has been being fed and watered at the temple. So when an animal gets hungry or thirsty, it's going to come back to where it's been being fed. You got it? So if you've been feeding unforgiveness or you've been feeding racism or you've been feeding uh, uh, negativism or you've been whatever negative thing you've been feeding, Jesus said you bind the devil. And I've been in this a long time. And people say, devil, I bind you. Get away from me. And we're better for a while. But then that curse starts getting hungry. Starts getting thirsty. And it wants to come back home. That's why Jesus said, you bind the devil. He goes into a dry place. This is Yom Kippur he's talking about. See, if you don't know this, you don't know what Jesus is talking about. So we make it up. We come up with these Christian doctrines. You bind the devil and he goes to a dry place. If you're a Jew, you know that. You know, if you're in Dallas, you, 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 you understand who Tony Romo is. Or you understand who uh, Troy Aikman is. Or, because you, you, you're from here. But if you're from Budapest, you probably don't know who Tony Romo is. So when we're reading these things, we've got to read it as if you're from Dallas or you've got to read it as if you're from Jerusalem. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying Tony Romo's a devil. I love him. I love him. Troy Aikman. I wish we had another one. So it's down there. If this, if this lamb or goat dies in the desert, then the curses are broken. But Jesus said you, you cast the devil out and it comes back. And it finds the door still open. Right? And if it finds the door still open, it becomes seven times worse than it was. Why seven times? There's no coincidence. Because we don't understand the seven places Jesus shed his blood symbolic on Yom Kippur. When Israel, when Israel left Egypt, they took a lamb and God said, take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your house. And when I see the blood, the word Pesha, Passover, Pesha, God says, when I see the blood on your doorpost, I will stand in front of your home, your children, your job, your business, your investment, your health. And I will make the angel pass over you. That's, that's tonight. You understand? The sins are forgiven. The sins are forgiven. He goes in, sprinkles the blood. How many times? Seven times. Then... The power of God is like a race, uh, uh, somebody getting ready for a race. They're waiting for, the, waiting for the signal to go. The signal to go is you and I understand the seven places Jesus shed his blood, that the curses are broken and the blessings are... Let me throw a side note in. They did this every year at the temple. But ancient Jewish wisdom says, and they cannot explain it, they said 40 years... 
before the destruction of the temple, they would, if the, if the, if the goat died or the lamb died in the wilderness, they would tie a ribbon, a scarlet ribbon on the door of the tabernacle. They'd tie a scarlet ribbon and they would not wait for the goat, but they'd watch the ribbon. And if the ribbon turned white, supernaturally turned white, then they knew the curse was broken and all the blessing would be released. Ancient Jewish wisdom tells us that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, which was Jesus died 40 years before the destruction of the temple, that ribbon never turned white again. Why? Because Jesus became the burden-removing and the yoke-destroying power of God. It's fact. Okay, 10 minutes. Let me share this with you. The seven places Jesus shed his blood. Where's the first place? In the garden. If you were to say to most Christians, finish this scripture for me. We're redeemed by the, they would say blood. And then I would say, where did Jesus shed his blood? And they would say Calvary. Understand this. One of the main reasons why we're not seeing everything Jesus has paid for is because God doesn't see the blood on our door because we don't understand where Jesus shed his blood. Yes, he shed his blood at Calvary, but Jesus did not shed his blood one time. Jesus shed his blood seven different times. The first place is in the garden. When Jesus prayed, he said, Father, if there be some other way, let this cup pass from me. And the Bible says that he sweat great drops of blood. Why is this important? They told my mom and dad, your son's a junkie. And the world says once a junkie, always a junkie. Why is it it's so hard to break the addiction of alcohol or drugs or anger or depression? Because you go not from the Garden of Gethsemane, but you go to the Garden of Eden. God looked at Adam and Eve and said, all of this is yours except that tree. That tree is mine. The Bible says Eve was beguiled. She was tricked. But Adam made a decision. He willfully disobeyed God. And when he willfully disobeyed God, the Bible said Satan became the God of this world. And Adam sold our willpower. Nobody wants to be angry. Nobody wants to have a bad temper. Nobody wants to be a drug addict. Nobody wants to be an alcoholic. Nobody says, you know, when I grow up, I think I'll just be a mean husband or a mean father. I think I'll just be a drunk and lose everything. I think I'll be addicted to gambling. But Adam sold our willpower. But then you go from the Garden of Eden all the way over to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was man and he was God. He was the son of God, but he was a man. Being the son of God, he knew what was about to happen. He knew they were going to arrest him. They would rip the beard from his face. They would stab him in the side. They would nail him to a cross. They would beat him until his organs hung out his 
back. They would place a wooden cross on his shoulders and he would drag it up to the, to the place of Calvary. Being the son of God, he knew this was going to happen. Being a human being like me and like you, he knew he would feel every bit of it. And so he's in the garden, not the garden of Eden, but the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, father, if there be some other way, let this cup pass. But then he said, not my will, but thy will be done. In the garden of Eden, Adam said, not your will, but my will. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but your will. And the Bible says he began to sweat great drops of blood. And when the, the, the pressure in his body burst those blood vessels out of his pores came droplets of blood and i can tell you tonight every curse is broken off of every drug addict every alcoholic every suicide every angry person the curse is broken Tonight, we can call upon God and say, you're not just the God that forgives us of our sin, but you're the God that breaks, removes every burden. Maybe you've got a husband or a wife or you or your child or your grandchild, and we can rise up and say, by the blood of Jesus, I'm getting their willpower back because who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. Somebody shout amen. The second place Jesus shed his blood was at the whipping post. And I'm going through this real quick. I've got a book out there on the seven places Jesus shed his blood. If you were to ask most Christians, how many stripes did Jesus receive? They would say 39. There is nowhere in the Bible that it says Jesus received 39 stripes. 39 stripes is what Paul received, 40 minus one, because that is the ultimate of, of punishment that a Jew can receive. God said, you'll never put him in prison more than 40 years. You'll never beat him with more than 40 stripes. And so a Jew would go 39 and stop because he would never give more punishment to another human being than God would himself. But when the Romans did it, they were not. And it's so important that we understand the Jews did not whip Jesus. The Gentiles whipped Jesus. The Romans whipped Jesus. And there's nowhere it says that he received 40 stripes or 39 stripes. The Bible says says that by his stripes we were healed. We have no idea how many times they beat him, but they beat him as no man has ever been beaten. They beat him with a whip that had a cat of nine tails on it with barbs. They beat him until his organs were hanging out. And so we can say to every person tonight, whatever you're facing, we bind cancer, we bind leukemia, we bind diabetes, we bind whatever it is. And we thank God we release the divine wisdom on every doctor nurse but we release the supernatural power of the great physician and we claim that by his stripes we are healed we may have to go through treatment but we're coming out on the other side somebody say amen but i declare let's claim right now that no sickness comes on our family no sickness comes on your family no sickness comes on your home we say that the blood of jesus is on our home and that from now on we're 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 not seeking miracle healing from now on we're walking in divine health by the power and the blood of jesus if you're agreement give the lord a clap offering the third place that jesus shed his blood was for our finances 
That's right for our finances. You look in the, in the book of Genesis, and we don't have time this morning. You look in the book of Genesis, and the Bible says that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the Bible says he put them out of the garden and he placed them out of the garden. Why does it say it twice? And I'm, and I'm doing this very fast. God wasn't being redundant. Whenever you see something in a scripture repeated twice, it's because there is a secret, a mystery. God placed him out and put him out. Everything God does is physical and spiritual. Yes, God lifted Adam and Eve and physically removed them from the Garden of Eden. But when it says he placed them out, what that says in Hebrew is God divorced him from all of mankind of being Jehovah Jireh, our provider. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had to work. But everything they put their hands to, God caused it to prosper. Everything would bloom. Everything would grow. Everything would be in abundance. They had grapes the size of watermelons, I believe. They had tomatoes the size of watermelons. Everything they did was blessed because God was Jehovah Jireh. But when they disobeyed God, and that's part of Teshuvah of returning with our tithes and our offerings. Do we trust the world to be Jehovah Jireh or do we trust God to be a Jehovah Jireh? Our tithes and our offerings is what proves that. And so when they removed Adam and Eve out of the garden, God said, I curse the land, the land that I used to bless. Now I curse it with thorns and thistles and no longer are you going to walk in my abundance, but by the sweat of your brow. You're going to eke out an existence. Now we go from the Garden of Eden all the way over to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've got Jesus. They're taking him back to Pilate. And they see a thorn bush with thorns three and a half inches long, a symbol of debt, a symbol of poverty, a symbol of the curse on mankind of God not fully being Jehovah Jireh. And they weave it into a crown and they place it on the brow of Jesus and mock him as king of the Jews. But remember, everything Satan does for evil, God will use it for good. In the Garden of Eden, Adam, God said to Adam, by the sweat of your brow, and no matter how much you plow, no matter how much you sow, no matter how much you plant, the ground is going to yield thorns and thistles. But then they took the thorn, the symbol of the curse, and they placed it on the brow of Jesus. And where we're cursed by the sweat on Adam's brow, the curse pierced the brow of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And out of his forehead came not sweat, but blood and we're redeemed from the curse. I don't care if we're white, black, brown. I don't care if we're male or female. I don't care if we're young or old. This next year is going to be a year of bumper harvest. Our best financially is yet to come. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering and shout amen. The fourth place Jesus shed his blood was in his hands, and in the fifth place was in his feet. You've got to understand that in the time of Jesus, they didn't go down the lows and get a bunch of lows at Marvin, I said lows. They didn't get a bunch of nails. They didn't have nails. When person, when a person died from crucifixion, they tied them to the cross and they would be up there for days and days and days. And eventually they couldn't hold themselves up any longer. And they would, their weight would, would, their, their strength would give in and their 
weight would literally suffocate them to death. But when they, when they crucified Jesus, they didn't tie him. They nailed him. In all the Middle East, there is only one sign of anybody. They've got it in a museum of being nailed. But when they nailed Jesus, it was for a reason. Go back to the Garden of Eden. God said, I give you dominion. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, you are in charge. Remember I taught on Friday night, the world was made for us to be in control, to be in charge. But Adam lost our authority and he lost our dominion. But when they nailed Jesus to the cross, that blood in his hands gave us that authority back. And whatever you put your hands to this year, whatever you, your home, your family, your job, your business, the ministry, whatever you put your hands to, God is going to bless. And wherever you put the sole of your feet, God's going to give it to you as an inheritance. Why? Not because of who we are, but because of who we are in him. God gives us back authority. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. He gives us back dominion. Whatever you loosen on earth, loosed in heaven. Man, I want you to wake up tomorrow and say, devil, I bind you in every area. And I loosen the power of God. I loosen the name of God. I loosen the blood of God. And let's start walking around. Not like God's little children, but let's start walking around like joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Can I have an amen? Let me have a couple more minutes. I got to do this again in a couple hours. The sixth place Jesus shed his blood was in his side. When they hung Jesus on the cross, the Bible says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. What you've got to understand is, see, in, in, in my family, there was a, there's been a a a curse in some of my family of anger and violence and addiction and that curse was on me and when i received jesus as my lord and savior my sins were forgiven but the curse was still there i remember saying one time when i pushed luke when he's a little guy we're i'm a pastor and i said man i'm i'm just like my dad we're i was afraid of my dad we're afraid of him now, he received Jesus right before he passed away, but he was a mean guy and addicted. And I had the same thing. But when Jesus hung on that cross, he didn't die from the wounds. He was only on there a couple hours. The rabbis come and said, you know what? It's almost the Sabbath. Whoever's on a cross is cursed. And if they're still on the cross when the sun sets, the curse that's on them comes on us. You got to get him down. And the Romans said, we can't take him down if they're dead. So they went to the first thief and cracked his legs and broke his legs so that he couldn't hold himself up. So he'd suffocate within minutes. They went to the second thief and they cracked his legs so he couldn't hold himself up, broke his legs so he'd die within a few minutes. And they got to Jesus. But remember, the Bible says no bone in his body would be broken. Right? This is Jesus on Yom Kippur, folks. So they went to, and they go, wait, he looks like he's dead. Well, he can't be dead. He's only been up there a couple hours. Takes four, five, six, seven, eight days. Well, let's see if he's dead. And they pierced his side. 
And out of that wound came blood and water. Around every person's heart is a sack of water. Because Jesus didn't die from the wounds of man. Jesus died from the pain of a broken heart. He died from just a moment being separated from the Father. By taking my sin on him. My sin. And my curse. And out of that wound came blood and water. And the devil forgot. He said, the Messiah will come and heal the brokenhearted. What has the devil stolen from you? Your home, your marriage, your joy, your finances. You know, we talk all the time, but, you know, lying next week will be three years old. The devil pretty much stole the first three years. Can you imagine how wonderful the next 30 are going to be? We're getting all the joy back. We're getting, come on, you understand what I'm saying? Let me just say this. Let me just say this to break the curse. That's why the Bible says, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Because your harvest isn't behind you. Your harvest is in front of you. Starting tonight, you're, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Starting tonight, your harvest is in front of you. Don't look back at what good. Everything the devil stole, you ought to get excited. Man, you know, and you say, well, why do you say 30 years? Well, in 30 years, I'm going to be um, 60. After 30 years, it's, I, I probably have all the fun I've wanted. But he's come to heal the brokenhearted. Leaving those things are behind. We're pressing towards the mark of the high calling of God. Amen. And then the last place goes all the way back again to the Garden of Eden. When Satan started this, and Satan's the one who does this, God said to the serpent, the snake, someday my son's going to stomp on your head. He's going to stomp on your head. Stand up with me all over the building, would you please? I'm five minutes over. Can I have three or four minutes to end this? stomp on your head he's going to stomp on your head the bible says while jesus body was on the cross and they took his body and put it in the tomb jesus wasn't there he went to the gates of hell and i want you to know that he went to the gates of hell he didn't go to a side room he went to the gate he went where, where the boss lives and he went down there and the bible says he stomped on the devil's forehead and he bruised his heel he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquity a wound is bleeding on the outside his blood has washed away all our sin but a bruise is bleeding on the inside the iniquity wounded for our trans you know what doesn't matter what you did yesterday let's put it under the blood but the bruise is so you won't do it again tomorrow now I'm going to just share this I know I'm over I'm over six minutes over but I'm going to share this when we needed tis to be healed we needed, we needed tis to be healed yeah I was driving in today and Derek was waiting for me and I said you know what I'm tired of coming to church by myself I've been coming to church by myself for a year and a half now 
I'm ready for my wife to come back. I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready for us to walk in that complete victory. You know? When we prayed for Tiz, it, they, said, they said, well, it's got to be this gene because it's what's been in your family. And they said that gene will not only keep you from being healed, but it'll pass to your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren, grandsons and granddaughters. That was the worst thing we could hear. And so we said, no, it's not. Ill. But you've got to know that you've got to understand this. And so they tested it and they said, well, there's no gene. And the doctor said, no, it's got to be. There's no other reason for this. It's got to be. We're going to test again because it's got to be there. And God spoke to me and said, it's not the curse of cancer. It's the curse of people in the family dying too soon. So we began to pray against that with lying. With just, you know what? Nobody in my family's dying too soon. Nobody, nobody in your family's dying too soon. And so you look, you got to look, and you got to look back and go, is there a generational curse? Is there a family curse? Something negative that seems to pass down. Maybe it's failure, or maybe it's divorce, or maybe it's sickness, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, or maybe it's, you know, whatever it is, is anger or addiction. Tonight, God breaks that curse and seals it. The door is shutting. And devil, you're not coming in anymore. It's going to be a great year. Can I have an amen? Now, let me share one more thing as we go, because we already prayed. There are three things we do on Yom Kippur. Number one is we make sure our hearts are right with God. Number two is we fast tonight. And if you haven't heard my teaching on that, I taught it on, on Friday night. It was, it, God was just with us on Friday night. It was really neat. Is this not the fast which I have chosen? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to let the oppressed go free. And get, get the, get the um, CD or whatever we have, tapes or eight tracks or whatever we have. Get those. And listen to it. But... One thing you must do going into Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a, is a Sabbath. What do we do? What's the first thing we do going into a Sabbath? Give charity. Yom Kippur is a charity, uh, is a Sabbath. They would take what's called a keporot, and they would sacrifice the keporot and use that sacrifice to feed someone who is hungry. When you walk into the Holy of Holies, there's an ark over the power of God. That ark, and I won't get all the Hebrew words, that ark is a keparot. And it comes from the root word when Noah got in the ark and the pitch that they sealed the ark with so nothing could leak in and sink them is the same word. So when we start this evening we seal in God's blessings by being a blessing. Oh, that's good. You got you to admit that's good, right? That's pretty good. 
And so you, you, we fast. Is this not the fast I was chosen? And read it. Read Isaiah 58. And it says, when you do this, then I will. Then I will. Because we're not just fasting to be hungry. We fast because we... I hate fasting. I'm already hungry thinking about it. Amen? When I fast, I read, I read the scripture and I go, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus said, I have meat to eat. Oh, is he making a sandwich? <laughs> but when you fast, it's not fun, is it? It's not fun. But you're, it makes you realize that there are kids that we're accountable to that feel that every day if we didn't feed them. Right? It's, it's good for us. It's to afflict our soul to realize, man, you know, it's not just that we can't go to McDonald's because we're social distancing. There are people that are hungry in the world. And God brings them to us, certain ones, so we can help. But we take the price of three meals. You know, whatever, whatever those three meals would cost you. Because we're fasting to the Lord. And we take the price of those meals and we give it to charity. So I want you to think about that before, as you leave. You know, what would it cost you to eat for 24 hours? For your, you, your family, whatever. And think about doing that. I want to encourage you to fast starting at sundown. If you can fast, fast the whole time. If you can't fast, it's not like God will go, you know, next Sunday he'll have a light over you. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Piggy. But, but try to do it. You know, don't call me. <laughs> Pastor, is that you? I could barely lift the phone to my ear. Well, how long have you been fasting? An hour. Read, read, read Isaiah 58. Please read it. So we repent, we fast, we give to charity in our fasting, and then we wash our hands. Symbolic of the high priest because now you're a high priest. And though our sins be as scarlet, we're white as snow. Doesn't matter what we did. The blood of Jesus undoes it. And not only forgives us, but he breaks every curse. Normally we would baptize everybody, but we can't do it because of social distancing. But can I do this with you? And if somebody flew in to be baptized, Pastor Wanneson will be out there and he'll baptize you because we don't want to let anybody down. But lift your hands towards me. And let me do this symbolic of us, of a new beginning in our lives. If you know it, say it with me. If not, let me say it for you. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Aulam. Father, we lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubt. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. We claim that every sin is forgiven. Father, off of our lives, off of our nation, off of the world. Father, we repent. And now we receive the blessing of God. Now look at me. The blood is shed. The sprinkling is ready to release the blessing. 
the curse is broken. The Holy of Holies rips open. And our best is yet to come. Do you receive that? Amen.